two things established in this in this verse. Two, iqra' first read. What does read mean? Read means that every single human being has to acquire knowledge. And you can only acquire knowledge by reading. There's no other way to acquire knowledge. You have to read. And number two, the Quran refers to the pen. Then Allah talks about dissemination, transmission. Knowledge has two parts. It is acquisition, the reading part, and the the teaching part. And the teaching part is done by, by what method? By the pen. The acquisition is done by reading and teaching by the pen. So Allah establishes right at the beginning, in the desert, on a mountain, in the middle of nowhere, you've been to Makkah, you've seen how deserted it is outside, the, outside Makkah. In Makkah, there's three million people. You go one kilometer away, you see nobody. And imagine what it was in the time of the Nabi, Ali There was nothing. There was zero. Subhanallah. And Allah reveals these verses to the Nabi Sallallahu Coming back to the universality of knowledge in Islam. What was the first thing the Nabi Sallallahu did when he came to Medina? What was the first thing that he, when, at the battle of, when the battle of Badr was finished, what did he do? What did he say? He said that the pagans who had fought the Muslims at Badr could get their freedom when they did what? When they taught the Muslims how to read and write. What did the Nabi establish there? He established that a Muslim knowledge, you can get knowledge from everywhere. That's what the Nabi said. Al-ilmu dalatul mu'min. Knowledge is the lost property of a Muslim. Wherever he finds it, he may take it. Knowledge is the lost property of Muslims. Wherever they find it, they may take it. So let me establish the principle that Muslims can learn besides in the other sciences of the world from anybody. Whether it's a pagan, whether it's a Christian, whether it's a Jew, doesn't matter. Because we're not allowed to learn deen from other, other than Muslim. Although we have gone beyond that also. So the Nabi Sallallahu had then established the universality of, 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 of education and knowledge. Last week I mentioned that any translation of the Qur'an into another language is imperfect. can never be perfect. And any translation of the Qur'an is neither the Qur'an or a translation of the Qur'an. I repeat. Any translation of the Qur'an is not the Qur'an. can never be the Qur'an. Nor is it a translation of the Qur'an. It is what? It's an interpretation of the Qur'an by some person. In French, in English, in German, in Afrikaans, in English, whatever language. That is that man, this is the way, that's the way he sees it. And therefore, It is important either to have a teacher to teach you the Qur'an from its original source in Arabic. And if you do read the translation of the Qur'an, you must read it only for yourself. 
You can't establish something, like I mentioned, like the Quraniyun, people who say they only accept the Quran, establish their own religion, by only reading the Quran and saying that we don't need anything else. And the Quran they use is a translation of the Quran. Now let me come to the crux of today's khutbah. What is it that puzzled me? And what is it that only now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown me, subhanallah, shown me but this is my own mind that I've applied to it, is that if you read the Qur'an, if you open the Qur'an, you read the Qur'an, the first 80 verses of Surah Baqarah deals with what? Deals with who? I've given the khutbah before. Deals with the Bani Israel. I want you to listen carefully to this khutbah. It's a very important khutbah. And where was those verses revealed? Don't sleep in the Jummah, please. If you sleep, I'm going to wake you up. <coughs> if you look away from me, I'm going to say, but why you look away? These verses were revealed where? In which city? In Medina. This was how many years after the Ba'atha Prophet? Maybe 13 years, approximately. If we look at the revelation in Makkah, what does the Quran deal with, essentially? When it deals with other faiths, what, what faith does it talk about? It talks about Ahlul Kitab. Quran talks about Ahlul Kitab. What Ahlul Kitab? The Jews and the Christians. And this is what puzzled me. And I'll tell you why it puzzled me. Those of you who've been for Hajj know what I'm talking about. You can picture the scenario. A man comes. His name is Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He comes to a city sparsely inhabited by who? By pagans. We read that there was only one Christian in Makkah at the time. Who was he? What is his name? Waraka. Waraka ibn Nawfal. And they say he was a, an, a cousin to Satan Khadija radiallahu ta'ala. One single Christian in the whole of Makkah. We read the history of Makkah at the time of the revelation of the Quran. Not a single Jew was to be found in Makkah. Okay? So who was, who was in Makkah? The pagans. What do the revelations speak about both in Makkah and Medina? It talks incessantly and continuously about the biblical prophets. What we may call the biblical prophets at the time. It talks about Musa, Isa, Harun, Dawood, Yusuf. These are all the prophets that Allah mentions in the, in the previous books. Of course Muhammad didn't know that. Nor did the pagans know that. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to them very affectionately as Ahlul Kitab. People of the book. Meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirms that those two religions had received books before Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the Jews and the Christians, the Ahlul Kitab, a peculiar status between the pagans and the Muslims. They're not pagans and they're not Muslims. And we know Allah subhanahu wa says, you can marry their women. You can eat their food. If it's not pork, you can drink. If it's not wine. So a lot of the laws which, a lot of the things which was prohibited for us from other non-Muslims were, were, were allowed for us from, the, from Ahlul Kitab. And even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the Jews, and now remember there's only one Christian in Makkah. This revelation came to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He had no idea of what happened previously in history. He had no idea. He had no idea about Musa and Isa and Harun and Yusuf. He had no idea about these people. He was sitting on top of a mountain. He had no idea about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He receives this revelation where all these stories are told to him. And he looks in Makkah and he doesn't see any Jews and he sees one Christian. That Christian has now died, he's passed, well, he's still alive. But that is all. So I'm wondering to myself, didn't this amaze the Nabi Sallallahu That Allah Subhanahu wa talks about two religions and doesn't talk about the pagans in Makkah. Allah Subhanahu wa tells him also, Surah Nahal, Ud'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmah wal mawaidati al hasana wa jadilum bil latiya ahsan. Allah says, Oh Muhammad Sallallahu when you speak to the Jews and the Christians, the context of this is about the Jews and the Christians. When you call them to Islam, call them to Islam, bil hikmah, with wisdom, wal mawaidatil hasana, two kind words to them. Wajadilum billati yahsan. And when you argue with them, argue with them in a nice fashion. So Allah establishes. Between the Nabi and the Jews and the Christians, we were non-existent at the time in Makkah and Medina, in, in Makkah. Establishes all these things, how to deal with the Christians and the Jews, who was Isa, what went wrong with the, Jew, with the Christians, they called him the son of God. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about Musa, Allah talks about the Jews, Allah talks about their clergy whom they elevated to God. Whatever the, whatever the Jewish clergy said, they would say, if the clergy said it's halal, they would say it's halal. If the clergy says it's not halal, it's not halal, and so forth and so on. Only before the battle of Tabuk, did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala command the Prophet to fight and to kill the Bani Israel if they did not accept Islam. This was after Makkah, after Medina. This was after Allah, the Prophet had subdued the Jews of Medina. Took him six years and he subdued them. If we look at The reason, one of the reasons 
why Muhammad is the final messenger. Why did Allah, is a question that we must ask ourselves. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send Muhammad as the final messenger when they still, that was 1500 years ago. Why did Allah leave us now without a messenger? Even if the dunya stands another million years and no, no other messenger will come. Don't men always need messengers? Don't we always need guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why did Allah stop it here? By Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam completed the two divine objectives for prophethood. It's complete. Al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum. What is that? What does Allah mean when He says, Today I perfected your deen? Otherwise, you're not going to need any more prophets. This is perfection. What was the perfection? The perfection was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala established completely and absolutely His oneness, His tawheed. That there shall be none worthy of worship except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And secondly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishes through the mission of the Nabi sallallahu the oneness of humanity. That mankind is one. Not like the Jews, they say, well, they are the chosen people of God. And so they become insular. <clears throat> the Christians had universalized their faith. Christianity became a universal faith. But Christianity lost it's Tawheed. Why? Because Christianity opened its doors to every culture and allowed every culture to impact upon Christian beliefs. And so the ulama of Islam, their mission was to retain the pristine purity of Islam. And this has always been the mission of the scholars of Islam and the Sahaba is to maintain and retain that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so we've succeeded up to today, alhamdulillah. Now, as I said, all these verses Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed about the Jews and the Christians. Abu Bakr never asked the Nabi sallallahu why, why, why is all this Quran about? So much of the Qur'an is about Jews and Christians. Sahaba didn't ask. Because Sahaba, والسلام, knew and believed completely and absolutely in the divineness of the Qur'an. And that the Qur'an came from who? From he who is shaheed of everything. He who is a witness to everything, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Orientalists, the non-Muslims, when they look at the Qur'an, they say to the Muslims, this book of yours had come to you, the Muslims. But Muhammad speaks a lot about us in, in this book. And they say that it means that Muhammad sallallahu didn't just have a fleeting uh, what's the word? Contact 
with Christianity and Judaism. The Orientalists said initially that he must have known the Bible. How come he knew the stories? And how come the parallel in the Bible and the Talmud and these places are about the same? And they said he must have known the Bible and the Torah and he must have known the ancient Jewish letters and poetry for him to be able to have done what he did. Interestingly, if the Nabi Sallallahu had known all these things, he was very good at hiding it from everybody else around him. Because nobody else says that Muhammad Sallallahu had read the Talmud or some Jewish uh, rabbi had taught him or some Christian had come and so forth and so on. So if he had done that, it would have been, it would have been a, a great, what's his name? Uh, he, he would be the greatest man on earth who had ever kept a very big secret. But then the Orientalists, the scientists and the researchers in the West, this didn't stick because Muhammad Sallallahu was non-literate. And after all the letters and poetry of the ancient Jews and Christians would only be available to experts. I mean, only today they discovered it. Never mind Muhammad Sallallahu So for 200 years, they tried to find an answer to how the Nabi Sallallahu remember they weren't, didn't believe that Allah gave the revelation to Muhammad So they wanted to find a source for how the Nabi Sallallahu had put his hand on all this knowledge, biblical knowledge, as, as they may call it. They also discovered that there was nobody else in Makkah who could have told these stories to the Nabi Sallallahu After all, there were only 17 people who could read and write. 16 people who could read and write. There were no books. People memorized everything. And they discovered that there was, a, there was very little presence of Christians and Jews in the whole of Arabia. The only Jews that we read about that was in Arabia at the time of the Nabi Sallallahu was in Medina. The last Christian, Nofal, Waraka ibn Nofal, he died. So there are no more Christians also in Makkah. So the Orientalists, after 200 years of searching and searching, trying to find the source of Muhammad knowledge in terms of Christianity, Judaism, they had to look outside of Arabia. They decided, well, can't find it in Arabia, so we must, we must find it outside of Arabia. And when they did that, when they said we have to find it outside of Arabia, they proved that the Arabs of the Hejaz, of the Arabian Peninsula, was ignorant completely of Jewish and Christian scriptures. There were no Christian and Jewish scriptures. In other words, they confirmed that what Muhammad came with and the revelations that he proclaimed about the Jews and the Christians must have come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because only Allah subhanahu is, as I said initially, in the beginning, shaheed. Meaning he is, Allah subhanahu witnesses history, not history as it unfolds, but history as from beginning to end. Allah knows everything. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's master plan. So now, now comes the question. Quran talks a lot about the Jews and the Christians. In a place where there were no Jews and Christians. In Makkah. It is universally accepted by everybody 
Jews and Christians and Muslims. That the principal objective of the mission of the Nabi was to rid the Arabian Peninsula of idolatry. Agreed? The mission of the Nabi was to rid the Arabian Peninsula of idol worship. But we find in the Quran very few verses that refer to pagan custom and pagan practice. In fact, the Quran only speaks one, mentions once the gods, the idols around the Kaaba. In Surah Al-Najm, 53rd Surah. Verse 19, Allah says, أَفَرَأَيْتُمُ اللَّاتَ وَالْعُزَّةَ وَمَنَاتَ الثَّالِثَةَ الْأُخْرَى Once Allah mentions it, Allah subhanahu says, Do you not see Lat and Manat and the third female god called Uzza? But that's it. So one would have expected that a man, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa who was in a life and death struggle with an enemy, namely the idol worship of Makkah, would direct all his resources, not against an immediate danger, but against something that wasn't there at all, the Jews and the Christians. One would also think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would deal at greater length with the pagans of Makkah. This was the belief, this is what they did, this is, that they walked around the Kaaba naked, all these things Nabi told us in a hadith, not to be found in the Quran. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks in the Quran extensively about the Jews calling Nabi Isa the son of God, the travails of Musa under Fir'aun, all these things. But the very mission of the Nabi Sallallahu his conversion and eradication of the pagans from idolatry is seldom mentioned in the Quran. Why? Why would Allah Subhanahu focus on things which seem to have no relevance at the time? And if we look at the political, what the political scientists would call the geopolitical situation that pertained in Arabia at the time of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we find that the Persians, the Persian Empire, had the strongest political influence in Arabia. Because they control, like today, they control the Gulf, right down, whole Iraq was theirs, northern part, right up to, they controlled the land, right up to China, right up to, into Russia, what is modern day Russia. So the Persian Empire, their political influence was 
the greatest in Arabia at the time of the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. In fact, Bakka at the time of the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam, there was no economic relations with Rome, with the Christian Empire, with the Christian and Jewish Empire. The trade that Bakka had was mostly with the East, with India. And the Nabi, of course, mentions China. But Allah mentions nothing about Hinduism in the Quran. Nothing about Buddhism in the Quran. And yet those were idol worshippers. Up to today. But yet Allah's Father mentions all the faults of the Christians and the Jews. They did this, they did that. They worshipped Uzay, they called him the son of God. The travail that Musa had with him. So why is it that the Hindus and the Buddhas who came to trade in Makkah were also idolaters? They're not mentioned. I still want your attention because the crux is still coming. It's very important to, for you as Muslims to understand your book, your Quran. And to understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to understand the miracle of the Quran. This is very important. That our hearts will become attached to the Quran. Not only because we read it in the Arabic language, but because we understand it and we know the miraculous nature of the Quran. And we know and must be convinced at all times that this is the divine book from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is the salvation of mankind. Let me carry on. So now we have Makkah in the middle of the desert. We have them trading to the east. What is today Pakistan, India, China, that part of the world. We have Persia in the north that dominates the whole Arabian Peninsula with its might and power. And we have Islam, the Quran, preaching against the Jews and the Christians, which is on the western side of Arabia. I seem to have no interest in the Arabian Peninsula where the Nabi Sallallahu was. So what was Allah's plan and why did Allah do that? Why did Allah send so many verses about them? Because if the Quran had to speak mainly about the idolatrous East, the Quran to speak about Buddhism and Hinduism and fire worshipping Persians. The relevance of the Quran would have been reduced tremendously. Why? Because history now tells us and history demonstrates to us that it is the Christian West that would pose 
the greatest opposition to the call of Islam. I repeat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that the danger to the Muslim world will not come from the East. That the greatest, if I may say, enemy that Islam would confront would be the West. And if we look at our history, you know, it was like touch and go. We would have defeated Europe so many times over and over again. Unpersonalistic. When we were in Spain, it was just, we just had to cross the border into France. And we just had to muster our forces. And the whole of Europe today would have been Muslim. And England and America and everywhere else. And Europe rose from near total defeat to challenge the Muslim world up to this moment in time. And of course, Rome religiously was the center of Europe. And maybe today is still the center of Europe. So the emphasis of the Quran on Christianity and Judaism fits in with the unfolding of history as it's going on today. That Muslims had to be taught from day one that these are the preparation you must make not to face Hinduism and Buddhism, no. To face the West, the Christian West on your left hand side. That is why detailed analysis was given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to a man who had no contact with him except in Medina for six years when they were subdued. And with Christianity, only had one contact with Waraka ibn Nawfal. And of course, the delegation that came from the Christians of Najrad in Yemen, who came to ask the Nabi Wasallam about uh, Nabi Isa alayhi as-salatu If Muslims had conquered Europe, the world would have been a different world. If Muslims had conquered Europe, I dare say, the whole of Europe would have been Muslim. And we would have maybe introduced into Islam a lot of the practices of Western Christianity. There were some good influences, like the emphasis maybe on the rights of women, on so-called accountability. But the world would have been a different place for Muslims. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the first revelation, we read Surah Baqarah, makes it clear to the Muslims that this is the nemesis that you're going to face up to the day of Qiyamah. And you have to be prepared for this nemesis that you're going to face. It's not going to come from the East. It's going to come from the West. 
So reading the Quran with that in mind, we can see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unfolds history. When initially it doesn't make any sense. Like I said two weeks ago, the battle between the Awz and the Khazrat, the great battle that took place there, at the time when the Nabi was pushed out of Taif. There was no connection between the two events. But unfolding history tells us there was a great connection between the two events. And who, who is Shaheed to that connection? Who is a witness to that connection? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who could tell us about those connections. And it is for us to read the Qur'an with such contemplation, afala taqilun, as I said 23 times in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, afala taqilun. So afala taqilun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, yes, I understand my dear brothers and sisters. I understand the barakah of the Qur'an. I understand that you want to read the Qur'an in the month of Ramadan with fervor, with commitment, with love. Because the Nabi sallallahu said, I do not say, I say that you will be rewarded for every harf that you read of the Qur'an. And because every harf that you read of the Qur'an is a hasana, is a good deed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, for every good deed you get, ten reward for a good deed. So Allah Nabi sallallahu says, I am not saying that alif lamim is one harf. I'm saying alifu harfun wala muharfun wa mi muharfun. So if you say alif la mim, you get how many reward? Times ten, you get thirty reward. And in Ramadan, how much? How much? Thirty times seven hundred. How much is that? <laughs> I know you're excited, you can't multiply, but relax. <laughs> 30 times 700 is? Times 3. No, 30 times, yeah, I also can't, I'm also excited now. Wajilat qulubum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when the Muslims hear about the Quran, their hearts light up, you know, they get excited. This is how it should be. When you hear this, you get excited. So we get excited about the reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us. Imagine we have some insight into Alif Lamim. Imagine how excited we'll get, subhanAllah. ذَٰلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ الْكِتَاب You know, if you read that book, ذَٰلِكَ It should get you excited because you say, what is Allah saying here? That book, Allah says, Alif Lamim, that book, ذَٰلِكَ ذَٰلِكَ means that in Arabic. Ask any Arabic scholar. Nobody here will disagree with me. If you do, we'll just chop you off. No. Anybody who knows Arabic will tell you that I'm absolutely correct when I say that the word dhalika means that book. Dhalika al-kitabu, that book. But when Allah subhanahu refers to the Quran in the Quran, Allah doesn't say that Quran. Allah says, Inna hadha al-Quran yahdi Whenever Allah refers to the Qur'an, in the Qur'an, Allah says, this Qur'an. But here Allah talks about that book. So that first word should keep you busy for 30 years. Why does Allah say that? What book is Allah talking about? 
The very first word, and that should get you excited. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِي And Allah gives the purpose of this, that book, of that book. Ask your ulama, you, you all come from different masjids, I hope. I see. So go to your maulana and ask him, why does Allah refer to the Qur'an as that book? Shouldn't Allah say, هَذَا Quran, this book? After all, Allah says, هَذَا Quran, هَذَا Kitab, this book. Allah didn't say that. Allah says that book. So the Christian missionary will come to your door in Logan and he say, Mr. Hamildin, the first verse in your book says that book. You know what book that is? The Bible. They say, your God talks about that book. He doesn't say this book, he says that book. He means he refers to the Bible. So what are you going to say to him? Just wait a minute, let me get my Quran. Yes, it does say that book. See, it doesn't say this book, it says that book. So what are you going to say to him? Do you have an answer for him? You don't have an answer for him. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has an answer for him. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't send the book. What did he send? He sent the revelation over 23 years. Allah didn't send a book printed by Judas or whatever. This is Muhammad, there's the book. You know, with the presentation, all the malaikas around say, here's the presentation, you know, today we're going to give you. You know how it is with books, when people write books? No, no, no. It came over 23 years. If the Quran had to say this book, the Sahaba would have said, which book, Ya Rasulullah? They would have said, Allah says this book, where's the book? They would have asked, where's the book? Isn't it? But Allah said that book. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that despite the fact that the revelation came in words by Jibreel to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa that eventually one day after his death, sallallahu alayhi wa the Quran would be made into a book. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, هذا Quran. And not ذلك Quran. Allah doesn't say that Quran. Allah says this Quran. Why? Because what Quran is, what does it mean? That which is recited. That which is recited. So what was recited at the time of Muhammad Al-Quran. And therefore Allah says, this book which is being recited from memory. This, this Quran which is now being recited from memory. But the book, the compilation of the book, the bringing together of it into a book form would happen. al Kitab. So the Quran then is a book of unfolding history. Sanurihim ayatina, Allah says, Sanurihim ayatina fil afaq wa fi anfusihim hatta yatabayyanalum annaulha. I want to say something to my brothers, the Quran in Yun. Are you here? You skate with Abiyah, I'm sure. Because I know you here. The Quran are those people who say, oh, we just believe it. We just read the Quran. We, they, the Quran needs nothing else. The Quran doesn't need hadith. That's particularly what they say. We reject all hadith. Because Allah's Quran is enough. And scholarship, we don't need scholarship. Why do we need ulama to learn usul al-fiqh and usul al-tafsir? No, we just read the English translation of the Quran and we decide that this is what we want and we just read this in the end of story. Allah says, you know, I perfected this Qur'an, and uh, 
Everything is to be found in the Quran, and that's it. And I was thinking about this statement again last night, apart from what I've already said. Those who read the English translation of the Quran, did they go and learn the English language first? If they say everything is in the Quran, meaning that you don't need the hadith, do you need the English language to read the English translation of the Quran? How would you understand the history of the Quran if you only read the Quran and you don't read the history of the Nabi Sallallahu And the history of the Arabian Peninsula at the time? How is it possible to understand the Quran without going to other sources? If you do reject the hadith, what about history? What about the Arabic language itself? How can you understand the Quran if you don't go out of the Quran to go and learn Arabic? So how is it possible for somebody to say that everything is in the Quran, so we just read the Quran? In fact, it makes no sense at all. How do we have understood why Allah subhanahu emphasized so much on the history of the Judeo-Christian legacy that is to be found in the Quran if we didn't understand the history of Makkah at the time? And if we didn't understand the unfolding of the history of the world as we have it today. So Allah subhanahu wa says, سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ We will show you, says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the furthest reaches of the earth. And we will show you within yourselves. You will discover. What will you discover? You won't discover flesh and blood inside your body. Nor will you just discover as a traveler that makes voyages of discovery or sightseeing. No. You will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the truth of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will see the haq of the Qur'an. You will see the divine beauty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shaheed of all that. And that is why the Qur'an challenges, and the Qur'an is a challenge. I mean, somebody sent me a clip. And I wish I could send the clip to everybody. It's a short clip of a lady who says in the clip, Oh lady, she must be quite old. I think she must be in her 80s or late 70s. And she admits in the clip that she is a Jewish agnostic. What is a Jewish agnostic? A Jewish agnostic is that she's a Jewish person by religion, but she doesn't believe in Judaism, she believes there is a God full stop. Atheists are those who say there's no God. Agnostic is someone who says, I believe in God, he's some great power, I believe there's a great power called God, we call those people agnostics. So this woman says, I believe in God, but I'm, not, I'm Jewish, but I don't believe in Judaism. And what is the topic she speaks about? She speaks about the Qur'an. Now, you know, you may dismiss, you know, when you look at this, you say, this old woman, she says she's Jewish agnostic. What is she going to say about the Qur'an? (coughs) 
But you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not unfair, not unjust. Allah gave all the prophets to the East. All the prophets that we know of. I don't know whether the Red Indians got any prophets. I don't know. Maybe. Allah told saying 124,000 of them, so they must have gone all over. But Allah gave all the revelation to the East, concentrated in one particular area, Middle East, that we know of, in the Judeo-Christian Islamic uh, legacy. And through a revelation, we know Allah. We know Allah, so how? Through the Quran, or the Bible if we're Christian, or the Torah if we're Jewish. And Allah SWT gave the West signs. Allah gave them insight. Allah gave them the tools to understand how the universe functions. And through that, Allah SWT wants them to reach Allah SWT. We reach Allah through revelation, they will reach Allah through knowledge. So this woman speaks about the Quran. Subhanallah. And she said she had, you know, she said, I study all religions, so I, I, I think she's probably at university somewhere, and she said, I put aside three weeks of my life to, to look at the Quran. I said, three weeks, I wanted to read the Quran in translation. So I thought, well, let me take four Qurans. She said, she took four Qurans, and she put the four next to each other, and she said to the audience, strange audience, because every time she makes a point, which I feel is a point for Islam, the audience laughs. It's a very big audience. It's on TED. You know TED, T-E-D, TED? Go Google it. There are a lot of nice clips on TED, not maybe about Islam, but lots of other stuff that you can learn from. And she says, you know, she looked at this Quran, and she was reading it, and first, it didn't make sense to her, because it was like muddled. You know, you couldn't make sense. A non-Muslim would read the Quran, can't make sense. Even a Muslim, if he reads the translation of the Quran, he gets tired after a while. Isn't it? You get tired of reading. Ya Yuladina Amanu, Ya Ahlul Kitab, Ya O Musa, O Isa. You think, oh, this is very repetitive, you know. Unless you come to some nice story like Yusuf or. And as I said, because the Quran, the, the beginning was put at the end and the end was put at the beginning. Baqarah was revealed in Makkah, in, in Medina, it was put at the beginning. Nas and Falak and Khulwallah Ahad was revealed where? In Makkah. So Makkah was put right at the end, and Medina was put right at the beginning. And the reason for that is because the Quran has no end and no beginning. Quran doesn't have a beginning, Quran has something end. And that's how the Quran is be read. That's how I read the Quran. I would look at the surah and read the surah because I'm interested in what the surah says. And that is how the Qur'an was revealed. The Qur'an was revealed because it had an interest for humanity at the time it was revealed. Allah didn't reveal the Qur'an Baqarah to... No. Allah revealed the Qur'an as the interest of humanity needed the Qur'an. And so maybe we should approach the Qur'an in the same way. Maybe I have something about the Qur'an that I want to understand. 
So I go to the Quran and I glance through it, maybe I can read a synopsis of the different surahs, and I say, this would interest me, you know, at this time. I, I'm, 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 I'm in finance. Quran talks in a lot of places about finance. Maybe I should look at the verses on finance. Maybe verse 282 of the Quran, which is the longest verse of the Quran, which deals with financial matters. Maybe that should interest me. Or I'm a man who deals with, uh, with legacy, with people's inheritance and whatever it is. So maybe those are the verses that I should go to. Or I'm a, I'm a science student. So I want to know the last verses of Surah Yasin where Allah SWT talks about the green, the green trees that burns when you light it. What does that mean? Allah says green. Can't get to the verse now. And many other verses of the Quran that deals with science. The expanding universe is in the Quran. Read about the expanding universe. And read about the expanding universe as a science student, but also read Stephen Hawking's book on, what's the name of the book I said last week? A Short History of Time. That's a little book. A Short History of Time. Read a short history of time and read one verse of the Quran where Allah SWT talks about the expanding universe. And maybe Allah SWT will inspire you to when you do your research in the laboratory to also use the divine laboratory, the Quran. Because that is what the Quran must do to students. It must inspire them to go to the Quran as well. So may Allah subhanahu wa grant us inshallah Ramadan that will inspire us with the Quran. A Ramadan where we will apply our minds to the Quran in the field that you're in. We have to go further than that. I mean there's, there's women's rights for example. You know the world speaks about feminism. feminism. It's, a, it's a big thing at universities. Big thing in the world today. Equal rights for women. But from a religious point of view, do you know that the Quran is the only book that mentions women and men separately? Women who fast, Allah talks about. Women who give charity, men who give charity. It's the whole verse in the Quran. If somebody could, if you could, if you're, if you're into feminist studies, or you're interested in feminism, or interested in equal rights, look at the other scriptures of the other religions, especially the Bible, and compare to how Allah Subhanahu speaks about women in the Qur'an. And you will see why Islam is the religion that most Western women today go for. Why is it that in the last 10 years, 100,000 white British women accepted Islam? It may seem few, but 100,000 women who give birth to three children will be 300,000. And there will be more, and so it will go. Why? They've studied feminism. They've looked at their societies. They've looked at the dress of the women in their societies. They've looked at the freedom that women have in the West, in Britain and in America. And yet they would come to Islam. Why would they do that? Why would they suddenly cover themselves? Subhanallah. And talk about the Quran like this Jewish woman. Subhanallah. So may Allah subhanahu wa grant us in the month of Ramadan. This is Ramadan. Shahr Ramadan, Aladi, 
unzila fil Allah subhanahu doesn't mention fasting and the Quran together in one verse. When Allah subhanahu mentions fasting in Ramadan, Allah says, Ya yulladhina amanu kutiba alaykum usiyamu kama kutiba ala alladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattakum. Allah says, O you people who believe fasting has been prescribed for you, as prescribed for those before you, so that you may develop taqwa. But Allah mentions Ramadan and the Quran in the same breath, as we may say. Shahr Ramadan, alladhi unzila fi al-Quran. Hudan linnas, wabayinati min al-huda wal-furqan. So the foundational, the reason why Allah brings Ramadan is to bring the Quran to us. And what do we do with the Quran in Ramadan? We survey the mosques in our area. And we say, who does it in 30 minutes? Who does it in 40 minutes? Who does it in 50 minutes? It's like a race, you know, I saw this clip also. It's like there's a race that's going on. Dalin. Amin. The other one also. Dalin. Dalin. Allahu Akbar. This is it's sad. It's sad, but this is this is what we do with this great book, this great guidance which Allah Subhanahu has given to us. That we do with it. Subhanallah. So remember, this is a month of the Quran. Not only mentioned in the Quran, but also a month, the month in which Allah had sent down the Quran. Now, please don't go home now and open the Quran at page one. And say, now I'm going to start reading the Quran. Read from the back. First, it kullu Allahu ahad. Don't make yourself tired. Because if you read too much on one day, then you're going to skip three days and four days. And you go back to the Quran in five days. Because, yeah, Baqarah was long. You know, and all that, Ahlul Kitab, Ahlul Kitab, Ya, ya Ahlul Kitab, Ya Ahlul Kitab, you know. So read the Quran the way it was revealed to Muhammad. Maybe it'll be easier for us to be able to understand the Quran. والله تعالى عالم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته